Good morning, Mr. K. Hey, Kamisha, what's so what going on? What do you have on? for us today? What's good? You are. <laughs> really? You're always looking good. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm totally excited. Check this out. I got the new single, Willie One Blood and Tony Rebel. What? That Tony Rebel song is on your label? Yeah. For real? Yeah, it's a cover of the tenor saw song. Life is One Big Road. I heard it on IRFM coming to work. Oh, you heard it on the radio? Cool, so did I. Yeah, we're getting some love. Tony is selling strong. Yeah, we'll Rebel's take hot. Two dozen copies. Okay, I'll give you two dozen. And I have a dozen copies of the Eddie Fitzroy Deep in My Culture. Just the single. You still don't have the Eddie Fitzroy album in stock? Album's still on back order. I'm heading over to Tough Kong later to see, see what's holding it up. I will take a dozen of the single and make sure you let me know when okay. the album comes in. You have anything else? Yeah, I have your invoice. Oh, the manager is in a meeting right now. He's very busy. Oh, no, 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 don't You're gonna worry. You're going to have to come no. back later or tomorrow. I'm not, here. I'm not here for the chat. You're not? And I'm going to send Harris over later on. Harris? He'll handle that. You're going to send Harris. The manager not like that boy, no? Yeah, I know. Harris has that effect. It's, it's kind of a love-hate thing with him. Hold yeah. on. Let me go see if he's available. Sometimes he can rub people the wrong way. Maybe he can write you a check now. You will? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll okay. Tell him I'd prefer cash, but okay. I'll just stick around here and peruse the records. Yeah, anything new? Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. A few months after Brian left Jamaica, I myself moved out of 10 West Armour Heights. Marking the end of an era, I still held on to the house as a way of earning extra income by renting out the spare bedrooms. Harris stayed on to run the place, kept everyone in check. Since we had moved in, there had been periodic rumblings, complaints from our uptown neighbors about the loud music, excessive smell of ganja, and the never-ending parade of Rastafarians and rude boys invading their quiet residential enclave, which was pretty much the same reason I was ready to leave. I couldn't get much done. Harris proved to be quite the resourceful friend and roommate. Eventually, he became what I would describe as my executive assistant. In Jamaica, they called him my second, which was island slang for second in command. Like a Jamaican express card, I don't think I would have left home without him. Harris wasn't a gangster or a bad boy by any means, but it helped that he looked the part. Inspired by our old housemate Stompy's Colorado fashion ethos, which was a combination of skateboard punk meets skinhead. Harris started shaving his head bald and growing his goatee long and dyeing it. He wore dark sunglasses that hid his eyes, even indoors and at night. Armed with a pack of Craven A cigarettes and a warm Guinness, he was like a ragamuffin secret service agent. Never far from my side. Straight-faced and serious when he needed to be. Always aware of our surroundings. Harris was a kid that understood these Kingston streets. He had earned their respect. 
not an easy thing to do in this city. But by far his greatest talent, his most useful skill, was he knew how to avoid trouble, which was exactly the job qualification I looked for in a second. With Harris watching my back, that made all the difference. Gave me a level of safety, comfort, confidence that let me focus on achieving what I originally came to Kingston to do. Rock this town. I rented a small one-bedroom loft in a newly constructed apartment complex off Constant Spring on Maryvale Close. It was about 15 minutes from the house at Armour Heights and only a mile up the road from Sia at Queen's Court. I didn't care to stray too far from the turf I had grown accustomed to. The Maryvale apartments were three-floor walk-ups that resembled a 1980s Aruba timeshare. Rows of cookie-cutter bright pink buildings with white finishes and balconies. Its outer perimeter surrounded with a concrete block wall topped with barbed wire. Even though the complex was located at the end of a quiet street in a middle-class neighborhood, I wasn't residing high up in the hills, overlooking the city anymore. No, now I stared up into those same hills. And to me that was motivating, symbolic. I was no longer looking down on Kingston, and its people. I was the people. Hey, what's going on, Harris? What's happening, soldier? You check music, Martin. All right, what are they saying? Rock and groove and bebop records. All right. And collected the funds from all of them. Nice. You collected all the money? Derek Harriet says him why you check him yourself. All right, I'll check Derek Harriet. Yeah, I know how he is. And what about Aquarius? And I'm going to Aquarius now. Okay. I'm going to head up to Tough Gong. You know, I'm to roll with you. Go to Tough Gong. No, it's okay. Why don't you head back to the house and keep an eye on everything? Okay, then. And I'll head over to Tough Gong. Everything is everything. See? All right, boss, man. Be safe. Look more in, okay? Yeah, yeah. A typical day in the life of a budding young reggae producer would begin with a morning trip to the record shops, check on the inventory, and drop off new releases. Although past their heyday, there was still a strong demand for vinyl records in Jamaica in the early 90s, and roughly about a dozen record stores sprinkled the route between Manor Park and downtown Kingston. Their clientele? An assortment of local DJs and sound system operators that spun records at one of the island's nightly parties or street sessions. They had to play the current selections to stay one step ahead of their competition. Also in the shops? International reggae fans. Some were music collectors, others radio DJs and mixtape producers. Many just tourists, looking for some fresh music to take back home. Regardless of their reasons, the stores were jammed with a vibrant mix of reggae lovers from all over the world. And like a musical silk road from these stores, they took these records back to their countries, and cities, and towns, and shared these songs with the people they love and thus pollinating a whole new generation of reggae fans. I would hang out and loiter in the shops as long as possible, not only to absorb the music and vibes, but also to absorb the air conditioning. Because between point A and point B in my day were hours of mentally and physically debilitating traffic jams. 
trapped with no air conditioning in a bare-bones Soviet-era van designed to withstand the frigid Russian gulag. But it offered no defense to the scorching Kingston streets. It was a race to see who overheated first, me or my Neva. After passing through the ghosts of Beach Street and downtown's few remaining record shops, I was off to my base of operations, the de facto Henry K. headquarters in Kingston, at 220 Marcus Garvey Drive, Tough Gong Music. Ever since working for the Marleys back in college, I always kept close ties with the first family of reggae, who continued to support me in all my endeavors. I mastered all my music with Spider-Man, the Marley's longtime mastering guru, and Tough Gong Preston distributed all my records on the Henry K. label. And when I released Eddie Fitzroy's album Deep in My Culture, Tough Gong Music hosted the launch party at the Bob Marley Museum at 56 Hope Road. Greetings, Henry K. What's up, Bunny Ross? Blessed love, my brethren. Yes, love, Bunny Ross. What's happening? The boss, Miss Sedella, wants to speak with the eye, you know. She wants to speak to me? Why? Do you have any idea? I mean, no, no, but me hear. What do you hear? But me hear them talk about the eye. What are, what are they saying about me? No worry yourself. You sure? Pure good things. All right. Well, I'll go check her right now. Hey, my youth. Me hear the big tune. Oh, the Willy One Blood Tony Rebel. Yeah. Life is one big road with a lot of signs. Uh-huh. Life is one big road. Sign and more signs. Wicked fire tune that. Yeah, it's true, huh? Life is one big road. It gets gets crazier every day. That is so true. I'm glad you like it. Fire, fire, fire. In December of 1991, the Jamaican Supreme Court settled the prolonged, costly, and public legal battle and finally agreed to leave the Bob Marley estate and his multi-million dollar fortune in the hands of his widow, Sister Rita. Bob's eldest daughter, Sedella, was now running the day-to-day operations at Tufkan. But the drawn-out legal proceedings and an inept court-appointed guardian had taken a physical and spiritual toll on the company. Still, Tufkong never lost its magic. You could feel Bob's presence loom over the place. I would spend hours hanging outside the record store, schmoozing and talking shop with some of the genre's most seasoned producers. Tapazuki, Clive Hunt, Joss Grew, Prince Jasbo, Yabby Yu. These were men who were behind the scenes, but always ahead of the times. And unlike the large studios and recording companies that were only concerned with their bottom lines, these smaller independent producers made music mostly out of their love for reggae, not seeking fame or fortune. Year after year, decade after decade, drudging through the muck of the music business, fighting to get by, these boutique labels and -and mom-and-pop production houses played a vital role in the evolution of the music, were the backbones of the industry, acting as the boot camps and proving grounds for aspiring singers and DJs. Just about every Jamaican that had achieved mainstream success benefited from the guidance of one of these independent producers. These were individuals devoted to the craft, that actually took the time and care to develop talent, many times at a great personal and financial cost. And yet, when many of these artists hit big with their major labels, very few ever looked back to say thank you. 
Henry, thanks for stopping by. Oh, Everything good? Yes, of course. How are you doing, Sadella? Everything is great. Thanks. Listen, we're asking for a favor, uh-huh. hoping you can help out. Of course, whatever you need. Have you heard of a music conference in the south of France called Medem? Oh, Medem? But of course, my father is French. I know all about that conference. That is like the conference, the place to be. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, we're setting up a booth this year to help promote our brand and would love for you to represent Tough Gong music. You want me to represent Tough Gong? I know how much you love Daddy. And with your experience, you'll be perfect. Uh, of, of course. Think it over and get back to oh, me. Oh, I'm in. I'm thought it over. I'm down. Oh, okay. That yeah. was quick. No, yes. Marché International du disque et de l'édition musicale. Otherwise known as Midem, the annual music conference that takes place in the south of France. Each January at the Palais des Festivals et des Congrès. The famed building, originally built in 1949, to house the Cannes Film Festival. Midem attracts the creme de la creme of the music business. The top executives, publishers, agents, artists and journalists. They all flock to France's most glamorous city. It's a cabal of industry insiders and power players. There to celebrate and honor themselves and decide who will be next year's music breakout superstars and who will fade into oblivion. I'll never forget the feeling of entering that grand auditorium at the Palais de Festival, located on La Croisette, Cannes' most prestigious address, where luxury apartments and five-star hotels line the Mediterranean Sea and Cannes' world-renowned beaches. And this week, where the alpha dogs of the music industry stroll the corridors of the Palais in their Armani suits, with entourages close in tow, on their way to private meetings that are mostly just for show, because afterwards, they'll retreat to one of the city's exclusive hotels or gourmet restaurants where the real business gets done. The real decisions are made over steak tartare and escargot. I was in the presence of music royalty, media moguls and entertainment tycoons, the star makers and star breakers of the day. But I learned a valuable lesson that week in Cannes about real power, lasting power. I found out there was one voice that spoke louder than anyone at that music conference, and he wasn't even there. That one voice transcended all the languages and all the ethnicities and all the nationalities of the attendees of Midham 1994. It was the voice of Bob Marley. I swear one thing. I don't care who they were, how high in the industry, or who they worked for. When people saw that badge around my neck, Henry K. Tufgong Music, Kingston, Jamaica, they all stopped in their tracks. They had to. They all knew Tufgong was Bob Marley's company. And that commanded respect and interest. Everyone had a million questions about reggae music about Jamaica, about Bob Marley and Tough Gong, about me. From the presidents of the friggin' labels, right down to the janitors who mopped the place. Because everyone in that building, no matter how high up the ladder, they represented an artist or a label or a company or a product. But I was there representing a movement. And the reactions, the emotions, that people felt compelled to share with me, the way they recounted stories and experiences about how Bob Marley 
touched and changed their lives. It gave me chills. I was forever grateful for whatever miracle that led me to that moment, to that feeling of overwhelming pride, the fact that Sedella and Rita Marley would trust and believe in me, little Henry Kay from the five towns on the south shore of Long Island, to the point they would send me to such an important industry event to represent their family and the Marley name and legacy to the world, that was a better feeling than anything I achieved in the music studio. You know, whether it was the south of France, the suburbs of Long Island, or the streets of Kingston, life is one big road with lots of signs. I guess the real trick is learning how to read them. That is so true. Life is one big road with a lot of signs. Well, when Willie One Blood and the original Tony Rebel come, man. Come, man. Roots and culture come. Almas and Cole. Share and subscribe and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack available on Amazon, iTunes, or wherever you purchase music. So join the Roots Gang at Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. Henry K. Henry K. Productions.